Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Good evening and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You're with Talk, we're on TV, we're on radio, we're online and we're on your smart speaker. Coming up, a dramatic intervention from the future king. Prince William calls for an end to the fighting in Gaza, warning too many have been killed as MPs prepare for tomorrow's ceasefire vote. There are calls for the UK to hit Russia with more sanctions following the death of Putin opponent Alexei Navalny. And Rishi Sunak faces a backlash for saying farmers work for love, not money, on the day he promised support to the struggling agriculture industry. Good evening, Britain, and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here at Talk TV. We've got a huge show with all the big names that you'd expect. There's former First Minister of Scotland, Alex Salmon, with his take on the State of the Union. There's financier Bill Browder, still fighting to stop Vladimir Putin winning his war. And there's veteran royal author Robert Jobson, with his take on Prince William and his statement about Gaza today. Of course, we've got loads more for you, and more great names as well. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You'll hear things tonight you've never heard before. Let's pump up the volume. In an extraordinary intervention from a senior royal, Prince William has called today for a ceasefire in Gaza, posting on Twitter, the Prince of Wales said too many people have been killed, stating he wants the fighting to stop as soon as possible. Politics versus protocol, is this the right move for the future king? Now let's get the thoughts of the royal editor, Robert Jobson, and senior fellow at the New Culture Forum, Rafe heidel Manku. Robert, what do you make of it? No, it's a courageous move, and I think that... Um... People have been talking about whether it's constitutional, etc. I mean, yeah. as Prince of Wales, it doesn't really apply because he's the heir to the throne. But I think, broadly speaking, if you ask anybody, they'd say stop the fighting, but, yeah. um, stop the, the killing. But, you know, it's a difficult one because the royal family is supposed to be above politics. It's clearly a political statement. I think that the UN vote, um, Britain abstained in that yeah. vote, didn't they? So you're, you're in conflict with... With, uh, to a degree with your government. But, look, I think most people would agree now that talking has got to start, but... Um, and and, the, uh, and, and the, the, the killing is appalling. But that doesn't mean that, really, this is his role. That's the role of right. the, the elected government. Well, it seems to me it's a bit like sixth form, isn't it? You know, you go, stop the killing, stop the killing, just stop killing each other, and it's yeah. very well, and everybody goes, well, that's great. But it doesn't really work like that, does it? I mean, Rafe, he could yeah. have said, stop the killing in Yemen, he could have said, stop the killing in Sudan, he could have that's said, right. stop the killing in Myanmar, he could have said, stop the killing uh, between the drug cartels and the police in Mexico, he could have gone over to Sudan, he could have gone anywhere you like in the world. He could have gone to Ukraine, closer to home, and said, stop the killing. But he didn't say, stop the killing, he said, stop the killing in Gaza, because it's trendy, it's the right-on thing to say, and everybody's going, oh, isn't it great? 
Well, there's a degree of truth to that. Important to say, he hasn't called for an immediate end to the fighting, say, like the Labour Party is now calling. Yeah. He said, as soon as possible. So that doesn't necessarily say that Israel must stop its plans, just that these things must come to an end, yeah. you know, as soon as they can. And had His Royal Highness said this two months ago, it would have been very contentious. Yeah. But, you know, the, uh, the narrative and the mood in the West and amongst Israel's allies has shifted over the last two months. So you now have America, of all places, and Australia, and New Zealand, yeah. and Canada, all warning Israel not to proceed with its Rafa offensive. So in that context, I don't think His Royal Highness is necessarily that, fu- that much out of lockstep with the Western zeitgeist. Oh, I don't think But importantly also, Rishi Sunak today also said that he also hopes that the fighting will end yeah. soon. And of course, we now have it confirmed, that the, as, we, as, you, as you would expect, that this was all done with the knowledge of the Foreign Office and therefore be, right? of the government, yeah. as it has to be. And remember, his team that works for him are very competent. They include former government uh, advisers, but also this new private secretary being brought on, Ian Patrick, was actually involved with peacekeeping. He was private secretary to Lord Paddy Ashdown yeah. when he was the UN High Representative in Bosnia and Herzegovina. My interest in this uh, with, with you guys, and, and certainly with you, Robert, is not whether it's the right thing to say. I don't think anyone really disagrees with what he had to say. It's why he's done it and why uh, he thinks it's important that he did it and what he thinks he's going to gain from it. Because I wonder whether he was brought under pressure by some people who said to him, if you don't say anything, there's a problem. Um, and that's why he did it. Because it doesn't seem to me that to be... There's no point to it, it seems to me. Well, he came out with a statement, didn't he, when the King issued the statement right at the beginning of this, um, when, when um, Hamas committed the atrocities. Yeah. And they came out with a statement shortly after the King's statement. Then. I, I mean, obviously, this is something he feels passionately about. He's, he's been... But I think he's coming at it from the humanitarian angle, rather like, you know, when, when his mother said, you know, I'm a humanitarian yeah. over the landmines. He's coming at it from that angle, I think. Then obviously, um, it's much more... I mean, you know, this is <laughs> it's an area where there's been no resolution, what, 2,000 years? Yeah, right. So, I mean, to actually come up and have a solution yeah. is, is difficult. I mean, he has been to the West Bank, and, uh, you know, the papers jumped on that and saying he was peacemaker will. But, you know... The end of the day, it, this is a complex political subject, and you know he has taken advice from the Foreign Office. I don't know if he's spoken. We we believe he met his father, the king. I was going to ask you if he spoke. Uh, we dad, don't know yeah. if this has been necessarily cleared by the king. It doesn't sound like the sort of the sort of intervention the king would necessarily mm. make. No, it seems to me that you know, and I said this uh, today. He's made. No kind of missteps so far, Prince William, since he's become the Prince of Wales. Uh, he's done everything right. He's had to face up to the problems of his, with yeah. his wife's health, with his father's health, with his brother. You know, he's done everything completely right. This seems to me the first time he hasn't quite got it right. Well, the only thing I would say, Mike, is that this is a bit like, as, as you were saying, you know, it's, it's, it's a different narrative now to it was two months ago. I think it's a bit like walking through an open door, in a way, pushing against an open mm. door. This is the... This is the mainstream thought. This is obviously what the Secretary of State in the United States is trying to achieve. Um, but no, I don't necessarily think the, the heir to the British throne throwing his two, his two pennies worth in yeah. was going to make an awful lot of difference. No, but it could come back to bite him on the backside, couldn't it, Rafe? I mean, if something terrible happens in the next, say, couple of weeks and Hamas commit another terrible, terrible slaughter, yeah. he's going to have to speak about it and he's going to have to react to it because he's now opened up the floodgates. He's now... He's now if he's a humanitarian, as I said but before... But I don't think he's in any way... What, what, what is, you know, what is, what is he upset there. about um, around the world? Is he only upset about what's happening in Gaza? 
You're yeah. quite right. And that's a, that, of course, is one of the reasons why Her Majesty was so cautious and never yeah. actually did she was brilliant, because she and never she, got she, herself into this. I mean, Her Majesty is exceptional for actually being the only monarch not to have interfered. Right. But, of course, previous monarchs who did that always did it behind closed doors, mm. so they would try to influence mm. King George V and Irish Home Rule, but there were no public pronouncements. I mean, this was very balanced, because, of course, you know, we know that Prince William will also be going to a synagogue and discussing the rise of anti-Semitism. We, we saw a reference to October the 7th, Hamas and terrorism in that statement that yeah. he issued. So every effort's been made to make this as diplomatic as possible. But you're quite right. Once you start making, once you set a, set a precedent, mm. people will ask, what about Yemen? Yeah. People will ask about other conflicts. And now there'll be an expectation almost for him to actually comment on any other conflict well, that may arise. Yeah, there, there may be, but I think what he's done here is simply got people talking. And I think that's probably raising the debate again yeah. about what we should do. Our politicians, let's be honest on this, have been a bit mealy-mouthed. Mm. Um, it's all to do with what's going to be... Votes are going to get right. in the election rather of than... And, and, and William doesn't have to necessarily worry about that. But I, I just think that um, the, the king was doing a lot of things behind closed doors mm. before he had his diagnosis. And I think he would have been making a lot of progress with his Arab friends and right. people that he knows in different parts of that world. And maybe just because of what where the king is at the moment, not being seen mm. optically that William is stepping into a role and yeah. feels he needs to do that. I just think he needs to be so careful because, as you said, you it's know, the, the, the late, um, great Queen Elizabeth II was brilliant at this. You know, she was able to make little speeches at Christmas and she could encapsulate the way people felt. She genuinely did speak for the country. He doesn't speak for the country in this because I'm, there may be most people uh, who think he said the right thing, but there's plenty of people uh, that I've certainly seen support from uh, yeah. on social media it, who it think that he's wrong, he's wrong to have done it. Yeah, the moment you take a stance, you divide the population. I mean, yeah. That's the whole purpose and beauty of a monarchy is that it rises above politics. Exactly. You can hate your government and you can love, you, yeah. love, love your as, monarchy. As Prince of Wales, as the heir, he's, he's more in a position to... That's to right. do that than he is if, if it was the king in conflict with his government of what the government was saying. Mm. So far different. That's when you have a conflict. Yes, but that's an important point. And when, to make, and, when Char and when King Charles was the Prince of Wales, he was quite outspoken about certain things. But it's different. One thing to say that you don't like the carbuncle that is the National Gallery and no, talk about you. the Gaza Strip. You know, I think it's, I think it's quite. I think it is actually very diverse. But the the, the, the the reality is though with with this one is that what is he saying? He's saying that let's just try to. Stop the the killing. I mean, effectively, that's what he's saying. Yeah. He's, he's he's talking about humanitarian issues. I think politically, he may be he's forty what forty one, you know, a little naive when it comes to these things. But maybe he'll learn over time. I think in this particular instance, um, the Foreign Office would have pushed him back if they felt it wasn't mm. the narrative that yes. they want to they want to to endorse. Sure. Well, and, we, and we know that he's, he's deliberately taken on his father's mantle. Yeah. That was his father's wish as well. Mm. But, of course, no-one should think, or hopefully think, that when he, when he becomes king, he's going to become an activist king. Mm. Just look at King Charles III, who understand that as Prince of Wales, you have far more leeway. Sure. You know, in 94, the Prince of Wales spoke about, you know, the, the evils of political correctness and the importance of mm. smacking your kids on occasion, a very right. political statement for the time. You would never imagine him saying such a thing now. Right. You've got 200,000 people on the streets of London. Yeah. You know, and, and, and there's been a lot of protests about it. You've got a lot of people on there both are. sides. The argument is... I think on this one, you've really got to stick to him 
Maybe it's being lost in translation a little bit. But I think it's, it's the humanitarian yeah. side of things. I'm, I think no, I get that. Issue. I get that. And I get that he's sort of channeling his mother and all of that. I just don't know what he's getting out of it. I just wonder if he's putting himself in a position where now he's going to be open to a lot more criticism than he would otherwise have been. Because, you know, I get that there's pressure. I just think somebody must have pressurised him to say, you've got to say something about this because everybody else is. I, I actually think it's probably him yeah. with sitting with his... With his, uh, with with Catherine, mm. uh, and watching what's unfolding, which is an atrocity, right. and probably thinking enough's enough. I don't think. I mean, is he I next? Is he next going to come out and say? I don't think anyone's pressured. Yeah. No, but do you think he's next going to come out and say? I don't think the British government should be selling arms to Israel. I don't think. Because I mean, he's only he's only a, he's only a, he's only a, he's only no, a, this a very this short a very step. Diplomatic statement, he's a short so. step away from that. I, I would say what he's, he's gone here is he's, he's pushing on the. I am a humanitarian, and I believe that hum. Humanity would want the the killing to stop. The reality is, in the in the real world, you know, we'd all let, live in harmony and there'd be no wars. Yeah, exactly. But let's all sit around a campfire and sing kumbaya. Maybe you yeah, can lead us to the real world. It's a very different, more complex you know, place. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to sound so cynical. I just, you know, I just don't think it was point, I, that there was a point to it. I think he shouldn't have done it, uh, and I'm sorry that he did. And I may be the only person left in Britain no, that I says that. I don't think you are. But, you know, no, I don't no, think no. I am because no. I've usually got the pulse of the nation at the very. No, heart I think of I think show. there's a lot of people saying, "Well, hang on, is this anything you should be?" Is this something you should be getting involved with? Yeah. But clearly this is a different time and he believes, as Prince of Wales, he should be getting involved. Yeah. Listen, um, we'll be talking about it for days, I'm sure. Robert, great to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Robert Jobson, Ray Hodelman, Koo. Um, I think he's got it massively wrong. We'll ask our other guests when we come up a little bit later on. You're watching The Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Coming up, should the UK sanction Russia over Navalny? Maybe we should ask the uh, Prince of Wales. And the Prime Minister splashes the cash to win over the farmers. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Rishi Sunak is trying to win back support of British farmers ahead of the general election, promising he has their back as polling shows the Tories are losing rural votes to Labour. The Prime Minister's used an unexpected appearance at the National Farmers Union annual conference in Birmingham, the first by a Prime Minister in 15 years, to pledge £220 million of a funding package. He also acknowledged the dark shadow cast over our agriculture sector by the war in Ukraine. While thanks to you, we enjoy good quality food all year round. Global events, including Russia's invasion of Ukraine, have put food security back at the top of the agenda. And we'll never take our food security for granted. Putin set off not just an energy price bomb, but a food price bomb too. In a moment, we'll speak to a farmer at the heart of this story. But first, my brilliant panel are here uh, with me, Director of Communications at the Henry Jackson Society, Megan Kitsos, broadcaster and journalist Emma Wolfe, and barrister and broadcaster Mr Andrew Eborn. Very good evening to all of you. Um, fascinating story, this, about the food. But just before we get to that, and we'll probably talk to, uh, some more about it when the papers come in later as well, but basically, um, what do you make of the Prince William intervention, as it's being called? You know, I just think it shouldn't have happened. I don't think he needed to do it, and I don't understand what he gains by it. Um, I think, um, personally, I wasn't massively in agreement with your tweet. I think he's speaking to the hearts of a lot of people. And let's not forget, the royal family do have political benefit where they might not have it directly. And what I mean by that is, is this way of the British government putting pressure on Israel without them having to come out and say it? Mm. Um, that 
I, I assume that statement had to get approval. I'm told it did get approval from the Foreign Office. Yeah. But I'm less concerned about that and what he said. I mean, what he said is not the problem, it's the fact that he said it, because, yeah. as I've said earlier uh, to Robert Johnson and Rafe, now he's going to have to pronounce some things, because if something terrible happens no, in the you're world, right. you are he's right. going to have to now say, well, I think that's awful as well. Emma? No, I think he's been very careful. I think the, the, the world, you know, the king and queen in waiting, um, William and Kate, have been very careful to, um, to make this balance. They have, he's today been meeting people, you know, humanitarian workers in Gaza, and in a few days' time, he'll be meeting young people at a synagogue. So they're being balanced on both sides. I think it'd be really odd for, for William not to. It's not political. He's just acknowledging this is a big... Thing this is going on in the world. The royal family cannot continue. I know traditionally they've stayed out of politics. Mm. This doesn't need to be political. This is also about humanitarian suffering. Yeah. On a so huge is every scale, other war that's going on in the world. Are, yeah, I know there are. I know, and there are a million He's conflicts. He's going to be busy. Look at the conflicts across Africa. He can Africa. do one every day from Well, no, he can't. He can't pronounce on everything. But this is a huge issue at the moment, and clearly, as parents, they feel... You know that they want to. They want to. I think. I think they've. I think he's. He's done the right thing. Okay, Andrew. His words are absolutely right, as you say, Mike, so brilliantly. It's human cost. It's absolutely abhorrent. But he has to then pronounce on everything. No, he doesn't. If, but if it makes no difference, but he may be asked to. Is the point? He well, may that's not have the point. to. But people will be now within their rights to say. Well, what have you got to say about this? Yes, and I know you're and not maybe... as upset about this as you are about other things. And it's a very dangerous precedent on that basis. So the, the words are absolutely right, and I fully support what he said, but the problem yeah. is it now opens the floodgates, and the royal family traditionally have not commented yeah. on world events. But not he as was such. The first, he was the first royal, senior royal, to visit Israel and Palestine mm. in 2018. Mm. And I think this is a cause that, you know, William feels very closely connected with. Yeah. And I think it makes him more relevant to, to younger people, yes, to younger people. It may do. So be... It may do. We'll see. Um, let's talk about something less contentious or possibly not less contentious. Food. Um, you know, yes. Rishi Sunak now looking for votes from the farming community. I mean, who's he not looking for votes from at this point? Because they've all gone, no, we're not voting for you, mate. Sorry. Um, but I think he's got it a bit wrong, hasn't he? Oh, no. Um, I think that the um, NFU is a huge organisation and they have been showed up by Labour a few times at this conference, this annual conference, especially in recent years. I know Labour um, leaders haven't typically gone, but I think it uh, might be a little too late for them. Yeah. I think they needed help when they needed help. When when it, we were food insecure at the height of the Russia-Ukraine war and farmers were dropping their usual mm. arable rotation and switching to oilseed rape, I did one stint at a food manufacturer once. And right. Know a few bits. Um, they did nothing. They right. didn't help. They didn't help with the fertiliser costs. And I think a lot of them, you know, they're, they've balanced the books in some way, so yeah. it might be a bit late. I mean, I watched a farmer today talking to Vanessa Feltz from Scotland who said that as far as government subsidy goes, they get something like 86 um, pounds per acre of land that they grow hops on or yes. whatever it is they, they malt for beer and whiskey and when it's sold uh, the final product the government gets something like 38,000 pounds in tax yes so wow. you know it's been a bit of a myth that farmers have been subsidized by the government for a very long time yeah, and, and a lot of them are, are, are upset at the moment because of the green net zero pressures that are being put on them rather than the Ukrainian ones. This is desperate from Rishi Sunak. His yeah. approval rating, Mike, is what? Minus 43%. The gap between him and Starmer is the widest it's ever been. So he is desperate. This is clear, blatant yeah. electioneering from right. the Conservatives. Desperate to get some votes. Any vote, anyone. They'll right. go to nurseries probably <laughs> next. <laughs> I mean, that'll be next. But these yeah. are their Conservative heartlands. This is... Do you know what shocked me? This is the first, as you said, the first Prime Minister in mm. 15 years... Yeah. 
to address the NFU. Right. That's how much the politicians care about the yeah. farmers. Exactly. Well, but, and they need to care, though. Because they were always guaranteed. The farmers were always guaranteed, and I think it, that's what it, means. It, it, and they take problem. it for granted. Yeah. But the... And then they start bleating about the Ukraine-Russia conflict and the food insecurity. Yes, we have food insecurity, mm. and we should be growing our own. Yeah. Mm, but... 20 years ago. Right. But it's interesting, if you look at the numbers, so Conservatives hold 96 mm. of the top 100 rural areas. Mm. It's predicted they're going to lose half of those. That's why I wore my tie today with the fox and the chickens on in support. <laughs> Not uh -huh. FU, the NFU. We're going to sort that out. What I loved as well... How is the issue. fox and the chickens uh, going to get on with each other, though? Well, they they love just, it. This is new harmonious... Fighting away on his but, I mean, tie there. I mean, I've had chickens that were eaten by foxes, so, you know... It's the type of farms they have really, children's... It's not really well, a rural... If, if, if not really got, a rural idyll. If you've got chickens, you have to have a llama, because llama will stamp on the foxes, apparently. That's, that's what they do. Did you know that? Right. Well, that and then you need a dinosaur to stamp on the lawn. Yeah, I mean, right. <laughs> you need a machine-gun turret. I mean, you yeah, know, it's yeah. like you away. But, I mean, whenever Rishi Sunak goes to a place and says something, it's almost as though he thinks that's all he needs to do. Yes. Like, I've yeah. got your back. I've Everybody your knows, back. one, he hasn't got their back. Two, he doesn't mean it. Three, it's a soundbite, you know, for the evening news yeah. and for shows like this, rather than actually oh, meaning but, anything. But it means okay. nothing. Because his royal constituency is in, is in West Yorkshire, remember? Yeah. So he knows loads. Who and does? He owns a barber and he's definitely got a pair of wares. And, and he also milked a cow, which is what I loved. He did that once. Right. Uh, it's, it's yeah. a great I mean, experience. I, I mean, I mean, but the food <laughs> business in this country is, is also interesting because the other thing that, that is a massive problem for farmers is the cost uh, of their production versus the price they get paid by yes. the supermarkets. Because I'm told the supermarkets have got a terrible lock on mm. things like milk, on eggs on anything that they buy sort of in bulk. Do you they remember set when the they were doing that uh, four pints for one pound yeah. milk in right. Iceland? And the farmers were getting almost, like, literally yeah, nothing. nothing for their milk. Yeah. It was almost not right. even worth them. More on packaging is what, what happened on that basis. Outrageous. Yeah. And you need to look at those statistics. People cannot survive at the moment unless you address these issues. Mm. So uh, it's right that he should be doing this. Whether he's got those sort of people being persuaded, I think that's an interesting one. You've got a farmer coming on in a bit, haven't you? Uh, we're hoping to, yeah, but I think he's having trouble. I think he's paid his phone bill because he hasn't got any money, so I think he's <laughs> having trouble. I think that's unavoided. Poor if the eco-warriors care about farms be being eco-conscious. Mm. We need to invest in farmers. Let them have the innovation. You know, agriculture scientists and agricultural engineers, these are actual degrees. Yeah, yeah. Study. Mm. So let's let these kids... Well, they go to agricultural college for yes, quite so some time, don't they? Yes, that come out of university, create the green farms mm. of the future, but for that to happen, less government subsidies... And but green farms of the future... The yeah, but green farms of the future don't need, you know, vast swathes of land given back to rewilding. No, they so don't. That you can have a few more butterflies flying around. That's not what we, I we need. I was more thinking energy efficiency. Yeah, don't yeah but, but, but I mean, up. again, that's what's going on. They're, they're, they're being yeah. told you cannot, in the same way they used to be told to set aside fields by the EU, they're now being told set aside fields for rewilding because that's all part of the greening of the, yes. of the economy. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing that they don't probably need is Sunak turning up at the NFU conference and promising 220 million for a new generation of robots. Yeah. I'm sure that farmers, if you actually gave them some proper support, would develop, as you say, their yeah. own technology, the things they mm. actually need they on know farm yeah. to produce was, food more efficiently. Right. But, but you should embrace right. technology, though, and there's yeah. a tremendous Here's your AI guy. AI, AI, put the AI into Britain. Uh, you've got to look at that sort of base. There are tremendous things you can do. Yeah, until you get hacked by to the Russians. And work. then everything you've got in the field doesn't work anymore. To put people out of it work. Work. Yeah. There will be of new jobs created. That's jobs. what AI has done. And no, it will also do create. Do you know new how jobs. fast AI is going? Oh, I do, absolutely. I'm encouraging it to go faster. Do you know how many people it's put out of work? 300 million. 
from Goldman Sachs predicted, but it's going to basically be a co-pilot. If you understand how the technology works, it'll work on that basis. It is great for the farmers, and we can look at that sort of basis. No one there understands. Well, no it's great for the farmers if they works. want it. It's not great for the farmers if they don't want it. I mean, more interestingly is what the Clarkson clause is going to do, because Jeremy Clarkson obviously has had all sorts of, you know, very well-publicised rounds with the local council about yes. you yeah. know, whether he can have a restaurant, whether he can have people coming to his shop, yeah. whether people can park on his land. They're going to suggest that farmers can be offered that kind of ability so yeah. that they can... And there are an awful lot. I mean, down, even down in Sussex, there's loads of farm shops that you yeah, can go to, brilliant. which yeah. are fantastic. You know, yeah. they're probably, people would say, quite expensive, but yeah. the stuff no, but is very good, good, and you know that it's good, yeah. and we know that... And you are actually supporting yeah. local farmers. Yeah, and yeah. we did a story last night about um, how the young Gen uh, Zers are actually now moving back towards proper full-fat milk and full-fat cheese, because yeah. actually it's better for you, and it tastes yeah. better. It, it right? is, now, absolutely. if they can actually get away from... Because it's all very well taking the fat out of things. You take it out, yeah. you, have you to add in a load of sugar. with all sorts of yep. other crap yeah. that you don't really want to be eating. So there might actually be a new demand for it, but the government has got to be more flexible. And mm -hmm. I think yeah. the trouble for most of us is we don't know how quite tightly controlled the food business is. Yeah. Unless you're a multi-million pound conglomerate, you don't get the best of it. It's like in America. In America, almost all dairy cattle now are sold to McDonald's. Mm -hmm. um, and almost all beef cattle are sold to McDonald's. Yeah. So if you're a sort of individual cattle farmer trying to make your way somewhere in the middle of Iowa and Nebraska, you can't do it no. because McDonald's will squeeze you until you give all your money to them. Yeah. And that's the problem. It's the same with the big supermarkets as well. The reason they can do such ridiculously yeah. cheap prices. Yeah. And when you, by the time you filter it down, you're left with nothing. And that's what's so important about this sort of stuff. Let's look at those figures so, and be realistic. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Because at the end of the day, you know, people have to eat. Yes. And they have to be given food. And so the government has to be good on that. I haven't really heard what Labour have got to say about this. Do they talk about food very much? Um, they did uh, at the NFU conference a year ago, but I don't think they've right. caught up on this. Right. Well, it's no. extraordinary. If you I look don't at think the they figures, were extraordinary that they yeah. haven't announced any policies on this but, but as they well. Don't, in, in a way, they don't need to. They're up 17 points since the uh, 2019 election at sort of 37% support, and the Conservatives are down um, 25 points, down to about 34%. Mm. And so you look at those sort of figures, they're obviously, by saying nothing, doing the right thing and taking... Just blame. Blame somebody else, mm -hmm. and then... the. the the vote, votes fall mm -hmm. accordingly. Yeah, I mean, because we get we end up getting wrapped up in all sorts of ideas about whether you should have taxes for this, whether yeah. you should steer people away from these particular products. You know, it's a bit of a minefield, isn't it, for political parties? Yeah, it is completely, and it does link back to the story. I was listening to that story yesterday about people moving towards because there was going to be um, allowances and something farmers actually disagree with. It. There was originally talk about um, tax incentives for vegan food. Mm. It's heavily processed food. It's not good for very, you. very horribly yeah. processed. Horribly yeah. processed, and actually, you know, lots of people took switch to oat, skinny oat milk yeah. and they found themselves not getting any skinnier but actually with full fat milk they weren't gaining weight but they were getting a lot of protein yeah. and good fats Absolutely. and the things they need Healthy. to actually and for it's their so brain important. to work. It's so important that people get informed decisions yeah. on that sort of basis. People need these facts yeah. and figures so they can make their own minds. And a lot of these vegan food products when they're not subsidised they don't actually take off mm. and we now know a lot of the ev science based evidence supporting these 
products is a bit weak. Well, apparently one of the reasons why scientists told everybody to stay away from fats was because they didn't think the public would understand the difference between saturated fats <laughs> and other fats. Yeah. So they just thought everybody was too stupid to, to get it. Yeah. So they just went, don't drink any of that. Yeah. Absolutely ridiculous. It anyway, ridiculous. guys, we'll be back with you very shortly, I'm sure. You're watching The Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Stay watching us because we find out what happened when Alex Salmond met the Pope. And there's calls for the UK to sanction Russia over the death of Alexei Navalny. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Moving on. Now, things got heated in Westminster today. Yeah, I know. Shock horror, right? This time, it was between Alex Salmon and Douglas Ross, appearing before the Scottish Affairs Committee. The pair clashed over the Calmac ferry fiasco. Ross attempted to pin the blame of the delayed vessels on the former First Minister. Let's see Mr Salmon take a pop at the Scottish Tory leader. And, of course, you agreed the contracts to build two ferries that still aren't servicing the islands they were supposed to uh, work for. Is, well, is that the type of delivery you think should be celebrated? Well, just on the third one, I had no part or agreement on the contracts for the ferries, if you check the record there. You had no part at all? You didn't? No, 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 they, weren't, they were agreed after. The contracts for the ferries were... Some time after I left office, uh, Douglas, check the record. No, no, the, the no, actual, well, just, just no, on no. that point then, if we're going to, to argue that point, no, no, I'm not you, you were involved in the earlier stages no. to secure the contract going no, to that no, yard. No. Right, cause, well, okay, let me give you a bit of time scale. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the saving of the Ferguson yard took place in August, September 2014. Just uh, the uh, referendum? Just before the referendum, yeah. yeah I, I left office in November 2014, I promise you, the, the two ferry contracts, I mean, I don't know where they were in the EFOR, but they certainly weren't anywhere near the civil service. They, they were, they were negotiated sometime after I left office. Now, you were involved in the nationalisation of that yard? No. I, 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 I was involved in saving the yard, and a private business took over the yard. The nationalisation of the yard was four years later. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's many people like me who are looking back over the last 20 years that get my dates mixed up, Douglas. You're, you're meant to be on the spot and on the ball. Two parliaments, that'd be quite exhausting going back and forward. Well, fortunately, you don't have that problem anymore since you're not sitting in either. But I just <laughs> wonder about that point. You were involved in the early stages, but if you don't want Recover, to... If, I if you don't sorry, want no, to... Well, let, 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 let me be quite exact. Well, uh, I'm delighted to say that we are now joined by Alex Salmond, fresh from that particular uh, very unbruising um, match, I would say, with Douglas Ross. I mean, uh, is it just the paucity of talent in um, the Tory party in Scotland, or have they just got very bad advisers? Welcome. Well, great to be here, Mike. No, I think the parliamentary term for, the, for that exchange, the technical parliamentary term, is upper gum trees. <laughs> uh, so I mean, I, I don't know what, what he's. I mean, I don't know what he's taking for his breakfast. Yeah. Clearly, it's not doing him any good. No. And the thing is, we've all been in that situation. I dare say, at one point or another, where you realise that you might be working with the wrong information. And from your answers earlier on. It seemed very clear that he was working the wrong information. But unlike most people, he didn't give up. He just kept going. I mean, it was like a gift, wasn't it? It was like, how about me? Just keep coming. Yeah, it was, he's only got one gear, that boy, and that's backwards. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a very, very shocking situation. But, I mean, a busy day for you as well, because you were here basically effectively to answer questions about the relationships variously... Uh, presumably in the past, between Westminster and Holyrood, how it all worked. And notwithstanding his rather 
childish jibe about you not being in two parliaments anymore. I mean, you were in two parliaments at one point, weren't you? Uh, and won, I think, nine elections. He'll have to he'll have to work to get to that total. Yeah. But no, I, I was, I, of course, I was outraged because I mean, I left a dinner in Berlin last night. Yes. With Ban Ki Moon, mm. Sharon Stone, yeah. Bob Geldof, yes. with, with the Pope appearing, giving us a, a benedictory message. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, and I left that to come to the Scottish Affairs Select Committee. Yes. And with that enormous sacrifice, you know, leaving the the dinner at midnight, turning into a pumpkin so as I could yes. catch the first plane to London, I get treated like that. I know, absolutely I know. shocking. I mean, if I it's mean, any I, consolation, if it's any consolation, you definitely won the internet battle because <laughs> there was there was many people saying, "Isn't it nice to see somebody who actually knows what he's doing, knows what he's talking about, and is actually a proper, you know, leader of politics in in uh, in the chair that you were sitting in?" And I'm not just saying this to you. You know, because people sometimes after you've been on my show, they go, "Why well, always giving him such an easy time, that Alex Salmon?" Well, it's not that I give you an easy time. It's just that I recognise what you've done. Yeah, well, I get messages saying, why do you treat that fascist Mike Graham with such kid <laughs> gloves? And it's outrageous. I'll tell you one thing I do despair of, uh, and that I can't understand why people get away mm. with reading their questions. Yes. Now, look, not everybody, you know, is blessed with a great memory. And, you know, some people have disabilities and, you know, that. And there's a lot of things to remember, but that's right. fine. Uh, absolutely. But, you know, back, back in the day, if you tried to read a question... Uh, you know, there was general derision around yes. the Westminster Chamber. And it's the same in the Scots Parliament. Yeah. They'll read questions. You know, they read the question, the minister reads the answer, mm. and then they read the follow-up. Yes. I mean, so, and you just think to yourself, OK, don't, not everybody can speak off the cuff. That's right. well understandable. It's yeah. not the, the talent everybody has. But to ask a question of maybe two or three sentences yeah. on a subject that you've chosen, that presumably you want to ask a question on, I mean, I, I'm, you know, most things in Westminster, I wouldn't go back to the bad old days, but I think I would go back mm. to treating people who read also, questions with a bit of, uh, not, not derision, but certainly say, come on, up your game. Yes, exactly. And I don't think it's unreasonable to expect politicians and people who are elected representatives mm. of the people to be able to stand on their own two feet Tribunals. and actually occasionally speak off the cuff. I don't think that should be in any way considered special. If that's what you want to do for a living, then bloody well learn how to do it. It certainly would make it better viewing. It because, certainly would. Because, see, if you're reading everything, you'd be as well just reading Hansard the next day and yes. let, let's dispense with the parliamentary proceedings. Yeah. Let's just everybody read everything into the record right. and, you know, and forget and about fact, having sessions. As, 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 as Andrew Eborn, our AI mm. specialist, would say, just get some AI bot to read it and you don't even have to turn up because you've already prepared your answer. I can exclusively reveal that uh, your interviewing style does not rely on artificial intelligence. No, it certainly doesn't. No no intelligence whatsoever, in fact. (laughs) Uh, I've been briefed by some very stupid people. Um, Let me ask you about some of the other things that went on, though, because you were asked quite a few interesting Mm. questions. We've got another clip here, I think, when you were talked about uh, and you were asked about what a new government should actually look to do. Like there's going to be a new government coming. With your experience in your seven years as First Minister, I mean, what would your advice be to them about resolving, fixing, trying to come to terms with getting the government relations? What would you propose and suggest that they maybe think about as a priority? Well, I, for, well, I would. Well, I don't rely on old chums. You know, don't rely on the informal network. I mean, the, the great wisdom which uh, that. Uh, your enemies sometimes sit alongside you, as opposed to opposite you, uh, should employ, 
that uh, that uh, you know the, the idea that you can compensate for effective processes of government with you hoping that somebody gets on with somebody else, I think is ludicrous. So for goodness sake, don't fall back into that trap. So is that a myth then that you can bring in your kind of um, suitors, if you like, like, like in the way that Boris Johnson sort of did and in the way that Rishi Sunak has done, they've surrounded themselves with people that they know might want the job, but they hope that by keeping them close, they won't mess it up. Well, the first time I ever heard the phrase a, a, a cabinet of chumps, yeah. it was John Major's administration, which uh, after the 92 election, mm. which promptly fell apart <laughs> for all sorts of right. reasons within virtually no time at all. So, so the chums didn't end up so chummy. Well, largely hilariously for the Back to Basics campaign, which was all about which, good moral which, standing. Which was pursued by John Major. There were sort of babies being born, abortions being ordered, yeah. you know, affairs being had. Incredible. I think, I mean, what, what John Major always said was he didn't mean it to be like that. It was meant to be, Back to Basics was meant to be to having appropriate toilets, stops and motorways. <laughs> <laughs> but, but unfortunately, they didn't come across necessarily right. as that. But look, the, the, the issue there was that the, the, some Labour ministers you know, gave evidence saying, well, they, they didn't really need to have the joint ministerial committees mm. between Scotland, Wales and London and, and Northern Ireland because they all knew each other. Right. You know, they'd all been colleagues together at Westminster, so there was no real issues. But right. listen, when, I, when I came to office in 2007, there was a bundle of outstanding issues, mm. fierce arguments, yeah. usually about money. Right. Uh, they were totally unresolved and had been unresolved for years. They were still arguing about whether the Olympic infrastructure funding uh, should be barnetage. There should be an allocation right. for Scotland and Wales you know, through the Barnet formula. Right. And, you know, that was 2007, so that was at least mm. you know, eight years right. before, you know, after the millennium and, and the run-up to the... And they're out to the Olympics, and that we didn't resolve that until about 2010 yeah. 11. No, right. And I guess for Keir Starmer, there's no need to worry about his old chums because he doesn't really have any. He's dumped them all, hasn't he? I mean, people like Jeremy Corbyn won't be being offered a seat in the cabinet if he gets in, and many of his other sort of fellow cohorts from the days when he was a supporter of Corbyn won't want to be anywhere near it either. Uh, I did see a clip the other day which had Keir Starmer saying how he was loyally supporting his. Uh, his leader, yes. as it turned out, with a rope. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, he also said he was his friend at one, one time, and he now says they were never friends. So I think it's a bit difficult uh, to, to believe a word that Keir Starmer yeah, I, says. I, I mean, I, I prefer, uh, and I've made no bones about it. I, I don't know Sir Keir Starmer that well, incidentally, but, you know, what I see of him, I, I rather preferred uh, uh, Jeremy Corbyn. I, I mean, I, I knew him for 30 years. I didn't agree with him in lots and lots of issues. Right. But I, I thought, and still think, that he, he's a decent guy, and... Uh, he, uh, he pursued his aims consistently. Now, that's not always a, a great advantage, mm. uh, but uh, I, I rather I find many of his qualities admirable, whatever mm. disagreements I had with him. Yes. Politically. Well, that's fair enough, I mean, and, and, and as it should be. Mm. Um, tell us about this dinner, though, because, um, mm. you know, if the Pope was, was, was hanging around, Bob Geldof... Well, Bob was... Geldof goes everywhere the Pope goes, doesn't he? Well, the Pope was down the line, yeah. uh, but it was, a, it, was a, it, was a, it was an international peace conference, which, was, which I was speaking at, which, is, which had aspects of cinema attached mm. to it. So, I mean, it attracted everybody. You know, right. It attracted, you know, politicians like me looking for a good gig to speak, people like Bob Geldof yeah. looking for a good gig. Incidentally, I, I did say to, to Bob, as I now shall call yeah. it, I said to him, you know, I think he should try his hand at Irish politics. He said, under no circumstances. <laughs> I said, look... 
I mean, he, he speaks very well. Yeah, he does. Uh, and he's he's hard, he doesn't speak very well without swearing, though. It's quite hard to stop him swearing. Yeah, well, he didn't, to be fair, he didn't... I mean, maybe it was the presence of the Pope. I maybe. Don't know, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he, didn't, he didn't swear that much at, at the conference that I remember, but he spoke eloquently. Yeah. And so, I mean, the, the Irish currently have, uh, in Michael Higgins, have, mm. have a neutral and a president who's a poet. Yes. Uh, and a very, very estimable man, in my opinion. So maybe Bob Geldof could run to be next Uteron. He could. Um, you got, and, you got a poet, get a singer. And what was this peace conference's pronouncement on um, our Prince William's latest um, endeavours? He didn't feature uh, the... Uh, uh, strangely enough, uh, and I, I know that you won't be happy with him. And it's quite an interesting thing. See, I actually agree with uh, the sentiment, I think, the, the Prince was trying to mm. express. Whether it's wise for them to do so uh, is well, another matter. Well, that's my issue. That's my issue. And uh, you know, he's going to have to... I mean, there is a fine you know, line which the royalty obviously shouldn't cross. Mm. Her late majesty, the Queen, the real Queen, as I call her, yeah. uh, you know, she managed, by and large, certainly in the latter part of her reign, mm. to, uh, reign to stay on the, the right side of that line. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, I mean, you know, Prince William's certainly got his toe in the line, let's put it that way. Yeah. He absolutely has. Alex, we're out of time, unfortunately, but we will see you again. I think you're going to be appearing on Plank of the Week this week uh, as a panellist, I should stress, I hope. Well, well, I told the select committee, actually, when they said, you know, great to have you here, and they're flying in from Berlin. I said, look, no, I was, I was doing Plank of the Week. So <laughs> I, 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 fit, I fitted you in. Very good. Into the schedule. <laughs> well said. Well done. Thank you very much indeed. Great, Cheers, great pleasure to see you as ever. Alex Salmon there, uh, ladies and gentlemen. We'll hear from him more uh, on Friday night on Plank of the Week. You're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Still to come, there's calls for the UK to sanction Russia over the death of Alexei Navalny. Stay with me for that. But you're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Now it's time for Taking the Mic. It had all been going so well. Prince William had been growing into his role as the Prince of Wales since the death of his beloved grandmother, a woman who knew how to be a head of state in a world which is constantly changing, fighting and evolving into newer and not always better versions of itself. The late Queen Elizabeth was an expert in international affairs, capable of both handling despots at state dinners and genuinely caring for downtrodden peoples around the world. She was also always careful to stay in her lane when it came to speaking out about global events. She could address the entire planet in her Christmas address and capture what right-thinking and reasonable people were feeling. Not only did she instinctively know how to do that, but she didn't need any coaching, and she was indeed capable of encapsulating the very essence of her own people as she spoke. For now, I'm afraid the Prince of Wales has much to learn. In the past few weeks, he's had a lot to deal with. The constant whining and irritation of his brother Harry, the worry about his wife's health after a serious abdominal operation, and of course, the responsibility of being the senior member of the royal family since his father, the king, was diagnosed with cancer. And it can't have been easy. But William was managing to remain dignified and self-assured as he continued his duties from charity fundraising with Tom Cruise for two more air ambulances to multiple appearances in public in a variety of roles. He seemed to be the perfect choice to take over the reins of the family should King Charles need to take a step back due to his recovery and his long-term health. But today, I'm afraid, Prince William took his first wrong step. He decided, for some very strange reason, to dip his toes into the world of politics. And whatever anyone wants to tell you, that is what he did. By issuing his statement on the conflict in the Middle East, he has revealed his naivety and inexperience when it comes to matters of global sensitivity. The wording was wrong. He described the Hamas terrorist attack on October the 7th as if it had just been a catalyst for more death. 
instead of the largest unprovoked attack on the Jewish population since the Holocaust. He spoke of humanitarian aid being needed without mentioning that Hamas take the aid that enters Gaza and deny it to their own people. He spoke of his refusal to give up hope of a brighter future without even acknowledging that brightness has been a complete stranger to more than 130 hostages still held in the dark beneath the streets of Gaza, where they are tortured, raped and even killed. I'd have more sympathy for Prince William if he had decided to mention any of the more than 100 conflicts currently going on in the world than the absence of him naming Sudan, Syria, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Yemen, Myanmar, Ethiopia and Ukraine in our own backyard. I'm afraid I'll just have to assume this is what it looks like. Trendy, virtue-signalling, attention-seeking. It's not what we expect from our future king. Sort it out. There are calls this evening for the West to respond to Russia with sanctions following the death of Putin opponent Alexei Navalny. Former Foreign Secretary William Hague has said leaders should unlock the £300 billion in frozen Russian assets to fund Ukraine's war effort as punishment to Russia. Meanwhile, social media platform X caused a stir when it briefly suspended the account of Alexei Navalny's widow, Yulia, after she accused Vladimir Putin of murder. Now, we were going to be talking to Bill Browder, but unfortunately, um, we're having some technical issues. So instead, I'd like to bring back my panel, uh, who are all here, uh, ready and willing to talk about it. Um, Megan, starting off with you, I mean, is there anything the West can actually do to Putin? Because it doesn't seem to me that he gives the monkeys. Putin's done everything in this war to avoid disturbing wealthy Russia. And in some ways, we've let him. The, their kids are still in our private schools. They're still shopping on our high street indirectly. Mm. There are a million ways. And we import their oil, rightly or wrongly, via Middle East. Mm. Um, we really need to unleash the frozen assets and help Ukraine. If not, just if anything, it can't. What are we going to do? Actually give it back to yeah. them one day? He has used proxy warfare to... Uh, since 2014 in Ukraine, to avoid mobilising his own troops, um, sponsoring of monsters like the Wagner Group. And now with Navalny, his opposition, three weeks ahead of an election, I'm not saying Navalny was going to stand, um, it, it's just corruption, it reeks. And for her, his wife to be kicked off Twitter, it's quite amusing. I think she's been reinstated now, but it was a very strange thing. It was very strange. But, I mean, it's, what's the legal position? You may not know this, Emma, I don't know it, but it, it, what's the legal position with this frozen asset money? I mean, can it be un- I have absolutely no unlocked? Idea. It's terrifying to think that Putin is just about to rubber stamp himself another yeah. six years right. in power. Um, and, yeah, the details of Navalny's past, well, last few weeks, but also the last few years... Mm really are absolutely shocking. I don't think sanctions will do any anything more. I don't think I mean, he cares. doesn't seem to care. I think we can do more of them because there has been, um, in his inner circle, it has been shaking at the idea of the West taking frozen assets as we've moved forward. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. Mm. As we've moved forward with that, there is nervousness, especially with the upcoming el- election. I know he's going to rubber stamp it. Mm. But you saw, like, Navani got ki- was killed and journalists, like, I re- journalists rarely stunned me this much. Well, he, but the way they yeah, went back into the street... Died in very, very, very mysterious circumstances. And they, in fact, they went back into the street and just knowing that they were going to get arrested. Yeah. Like, they have balls of steel. Like, yeah. he, they really no, do. They do. And it's the same as the, the journalist, female journalists in Iran who risked their life getting the information of what was happening mm. out. 
It really, I think he is shaking. He is shaking. There are some who believe, I spoke to Chris Parry last night, former NATO commander, he thinks that actually Putin may not be in charge in the Kremlin anymore and that there may already be a kind of a shadowy group of people who are sort of doing it's an interesting these things thought, yeah. around him, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely interesting thought. And, and, and a very powerful uh, Yulia's uh, video, I don't know if you saw that yesterday, yeah. Yeah. where she talked about rage, anger and hatred for those who dared to kill our future. Yeah. And, and very powerful, she said, it's, it's not a shame to do little, it's a shame to do nothing. Mm. Um, but it's going back to how effective would these sanctions be? Because yeah. if Putin is not in power anymore, and there's a, he's a puppet figure, right. which is an interesting thought, then what's going to happen? Because so far we've tried everything, and there's been no effect on that sort of basis. And mm. um, you've had people speak on behalf of the Kremlin who turn around and say it's ridiculous and, of course, they had nothing to do with yeah. it. But the body, they say, is not going to come out for 14 days. Right. People are saying that by that time, Novichok or whatever it is, would be out of the system. Right. I don't know if that's right. But that's why they say they've hidden the body until th this, this yeah. time. Mm -hmm. but but they're very it wouldn't need to like do that. much, though. I mean, this man was mm. held in a punishment cell. He was being starved, slowly yeah. starved yeah. to death, frozen to death. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, the, the, the conditions were absolutely appalling. So... I'm not even sure that you would need to um, poison to actually poison him. No, no. He, he, he was he's, he's effectively had, killed he's by the. He's had situation. deteriorating health since last spring, yeah. right. and there was worries for his health where they hadn't heard from him for a while. Well, I mean, this is a guy who, who survived being poisoned by Novichok, which it was, most yeah. people yeah. don't actually right. normally do. But but, but stay with us because we're going to keep the panel here for um, another short section, or maybe even a long section. Who can say? You're watching the Independent Republican Mike Graham later on in the show. A Jewish baby's birth certificate is going to turn. From the Home Office torn and with the word Israel scribbled out. Unbelievable. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
Good evening and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You'll be talk. We're on TV, we're on radio, we're online and we're on your smart speaker as well. Coming up, Border Force failed to check hundreds of private jet arrivals from high-risk countries in a fresh immigration scandal. All eyes are on Donald Trump this evening as he prepares for an event with Fox News. The former president compared himself to Navalny but didn't condemn Vladimir Putin. And it comes as he's been declared the worst president in US history by a load of academics that don't like him. And get on the beers from pickled to pie-eyed, us Brits have over five 500 alternatives, would you believe, for the word drunk. Now, only last night I described how useless our Home Office has become in dealing with the immigration issue. Home Secretary after Home Secretary has tried and failed to cut through the red tape, the inertia and the deadly slow wheels of change within the civil service, particularly the part that has power over asylum seekers, deportations, visa applications and even the housing of people coming to this country to live. Well, you can put much of what has failed to happen down to inadequate training, badly organised departments and useless employees. I think it's time we started asking whether something else is actually going on. The news this week is that it's easier to get a visa to work in the care sector in this country than it is to order a pizza online. It's more difficult to get deported, even if you want to leave, than qualifying for a place on the next SpaceX mission to the moon. We've all seen the pictures of Home Office employees inside their offices posing with banners that say, Refugees Welcome. And we've heard the stories of people who work inside the civil service who are constantly asked to wear badges that support refugees and the working groups that go on around the clock educating employees on the rights of asylum seekers. Well, the malaise is spreading, it would seem. Today we learn of a case of a family who sent in a baby's birth certificate as part of a passport application only to have the birth certificate returned defaced. The reason? It contained the word Israel, which had been crossed out. The campaign against anti-Semitism are now involved, and they've explained that the application was lodged two weeks ago with the passport office. The father's place of birth was listed as Israel, and that was scribbled out. The father, who is also called Israel, said when he received it back, he felt as though we'd been taken back to 1930s Germany, where the Nazis would put notes on Jewish people's documentation. He went on to describe how the family is already used to hiding its identity and any signs of being Jewish because they feel they are seen as targets where they live. This, ladies and gentlemen, is Britain in 2024, a place of refuge, apparently, for people from all over the world, as long as you're not Jewish. Home Secretary James Cleverley has already launched an inquiry into how this could have happened and what will happen next. But surely the fact that any individual who works in the civil service feels comfortable enough in the work environment to do such a thing tells us all we need to know about the state of the place. It's shameful, it's illegal, and I hope they find the culprit and punish them to the full extent of the law. Enough is enough. Later on in the show, we'll be bringing you a first look at tomorrow's front pages, but before anyone else, we've got an exclusive look at the front page of the Metro newspaper, and they've got a story about the post office scandal, and their headline says, Cam's government knew. Lord Cameron's government knew the post office dropped a secret probe that may have helped jailed and ruined sub-postmasters prove their innocence, according to um, a story that's come out tonight. Ministers were told in 2016 how the investigation that could have helped thousands was ditched. So there's more than 700 people given criminal convictions from 1999 to 2015 who lost their livelihoods, homes and went bankrupt, all of whom could have been helped a lot sooner than they are being currently, which is now some nearly 10 years on from some of the problems that they've had. Let's go to the United States now, and all eyes will be on Republican candidate Donald Trump in a couple of hours' time when he takes the stage uh, for a Fox News town hall in South Carolina. It'll be his first public appearance since he finished 45th and rock bottom of a list ranking US presidents by greatness 
according to the Presidential Greatness Project, a body made up of just 154 political scholars. You've got to wonder exactly how they would have thought when you asked them, what do you think of Donald Trump? It's also been published in The Guardian, of course. Let's cross over now to Nashville and speak to Fox News commentator Tommy Lauren. Tommy, very good evening to you. Welcome to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Oh, thank you for having me. And I'll just say, I'm wondering what they're basing that presidential greatness on, because they have Joe Biden ahead of not only Donald Trump, but the great Ronald Reagan. So I would like to meet and speak with the individuals who decided on that list. I don't think many of us here in the United States feel that maybe it was done very accurately. No, I don't think it was done very accurately at all. And there's several people in the history of the United States of America who managed, managed to screw things up to such an extent, uh, like, for example, Jimmy Carter, that you might go, well, maybe he was actually quite a lot worse than Donald Trump, uh, who managed to uh, at least manage to get peace in most of the parts of the world when he was in charge. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they hate Donald Trump, and you can see that by the number of political uh, persecutions levied against him and legal systems. So time and time again, they come after Donald Trump. They hate Donald Trump. They are so angry that he won in 2016. They are so angry that he has a real shot at winning in 2024. So they do everything they can to malign the man, to demonize him in the court of public opinion and the actual court. But the man stands tall anyway. He goes out and campaigns. He participates in town hall after town hall. Meanwhile, our current president, Joe Biden, can't even make it up the regular size stairs to go on a fundraiser <laughs> trip to California. So I think that the headlines write themselves, or at least they should. Well, he absolutely can't make it up any sort of stairs at all. And I was saying this to somebody the other day, that most of his staffers are delighted if he manages to get from one side of the room to the other without falling down uh, and actually crawling uh, the rest of the way. But let me ask you about this town hall tonight with Fox News. It's, uh, it's South Carolina. Uh, it's the home state, of course, uh, of the one person who's left in the race who seems to refuse uh, to get out of it. I mean, why is she still in? Um, and why um, does she even think that there's a point to that? Well, I think that she's got a quite a large ego and a lot of funding. Uh, unfortunately, until her money dries up, she will stay in this race. She just commented today in a, what was supposed to be a special announcement that she's not going to drop out anytime soon, that she's going to stay in this race until the very last state votes. Again, she's really helping the Democrats more so than she's helping any Republican out there. Even Republicans that don't like Donald Trump, I think, would be happier with Donald Trump as president rather than a Joe Biden or a California Governor Gavin Newsom. So she's staying in this because I think she likes to see herself. I think she likes to hear herself and the special interest donors out there, the establishment from what we call the Uniparty, they keep funding her. So until the money dries up, unfortunately, I think she's there to stay. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And what about Donald Trump's criticism today? Um, he said that he uh, sees the death of Alexei Navalny as, as something similar to what he's going through in, uh, in the court system in the US of A. A lot of people are saying, well, he might have been a little bit more hard on Vladimir Putin, but he didn't seem to be. What do you make of that? Well, listen, Donald Trump is somebody who's going to speak his mind, and sometimes people don't like it. Sometimes it comes off a little rough around the edges, but that happens to be what many of us like about Donald Trump. But he's not wrong in his comparison. Yes, we're talking about somebody that lost their life compared to somebody who's just going through legal challenges. I understand that. But when you talk about trying to take out and silence a political opponent... 
you know, the two scenarios are similar in that regard. So whatever they want to say and, and however angry they want to be at the way that he words things or the comparisons that he makes, he's not entirely off base here. And I would hope that the Democrats that are working hard to either put him behind bars, bankrupt him, or even keep him off the ballot, hope they would understand what they're doing is very similar to what somebody like a, a Putin would do to their political enemies and opponents. And what are you hearing, Tommy, about the latest on whether Biden gets replaced at the Democratic National Convention uh, in the summer? Because that particular rumour seems to be getting a lot of strength, even in Democratic circles. A lot of Democrats are saying, we can't possibly go into an election with Joe Biden. No. So in 2020, they had the luxury of hiding Joe Biden in the basement due to COVID. But unfortunately, in the last several years, his condition has gotten much worse. So you can't really hide it anymore. Even if he doesn't do a lot of press conferences or even if he doesn't talk to the press very often or to the American people, you can't hide his cognitive decline. You certainly can't hide his agenda. So I think the Democrats are scrambling. They're getting ready for the spring and the summer. And they've got to convince Joe Biden to go away. Now, I think up until now, it's been difficult to convince him because he is very egotistical. He wants his legacy to be somebody who is reelected. But I think as we head into the spring and head into the summer, the wheels will be in motion. Some people say it's going to be Vice President Kamala Harris. I don't think they take that chance. I think it's going to be California Governor Gavin Newsom. And any chance that Donald Trump's legal problems derail him? I mean, has anything changed since the last time we spoke, you know, since he's now being told he's got to pay out all of these fines and ridiculously millions, hundreds of millions of dollars? Is that going to still roll on? Is that going to derail him? I don't think anything can derail our former president at this point. He's a fighter. He's going to keep fighting no matter what they throw at him. And now he's really got something to prove, not only for himself, but to the American people. He's a fighter for us. He's a fighter for this country. And he's not going to stop just because they try to put roadblocks in his way, just because they try to sabotage and torpedo him. This is nothing new for our former president. I don't think there's anything that's going to keep him away from being on that ballot in November. No, I think you're absolutely right. Tommy, thank you very much indeed. Tommy Lyron there reporting into us uh, with uh, Donald Trump with Fox News down there in South Carolina getting ready uh, for a town hall ahead of winning yet another primary, which is obviously what he's going to do. You're watching the Independent Republican Mike Graham. After the break, the Home Office Board's inspector is sacked and Greenpeace protesters are going to be charged after a demonstration at the Prime Minister's home. Now, I'd like to turn your attention to the dramatic warning issued by outgoing UK Border Chief David Neal of serious security failures at London City Airport. Hundreds of high-risk private jet flights arriving from the Middle East and Africa landed in the UK uh, without inspection from the Border Force, meaning potentially thousands of passengers evaded passport control and criminals, illegal migrants and extremists may have entered the UK without even basic scrutiny. You wouldn't have to ask Sherlock about that one. And now, of course, it means um, that the guy who was in charge of border security has been fired, for heaven's sake. Um, I'd like to get a reaction on that one from my panel, Megan. Uh, what do you make of David Neal's warnings? And what do you make of David Neal's sacking? Because apparently he provided the Home Office with a whole load of different reports, which they were not quite ready to publish. He published a couple of them, and suddenly now he's out of a job. Um, if they weren't quite ready to... Did he get a clear instruction? I don't know. I won't comment on the legalities of him losing his job. One thing I do want to um, mention is I'm assuming that if they, people weren't checked for their passports, they also weren't checked for traffic, children and drugs. Right. Is that, and and possibly I, would, animals and would any I number be of right, other things. Would I be right in thinking that? 
Well, these are these are these were classified as high risk jets that yeah. were flights that were arriving yeah. at City Airport. Eighty percent of them, nearly eighty percent of them, have not been checked. Mm. The Home Office have now conveniently recategorized them to low risk, so that's yeah. absolutely fine. No, no, nothing oh, to okay. see here. It's fine. But presumably, but you, what should happen? But, is... but this David Neal guy, he's yeah. my hero of the week. He's yeah. absolutely brilliant guy. He's uh, the head of the, the chief inspector. He's the inspector yeah. of border and immigration. It's a really, really important right. role. He's published thirteen or more. Of and he's these been reports. asked to do this by the yeah, Home Office. He's right? asked yeah. to do it. He, the, but, but funnily enough, these reports haven't come to light. Yesterday, we had the issue of the care homes. Yes. Visas, thousands of visas have been issued to foreign workers coming over to work in care homes that, guess what, don't, don't exist. Don't exist, yeah. These care homes were not even checked. Mm. The point, the fault here is with the Home Office. They are calamitously failing to do any kind of security or mm. checks on most of the people, yeah. most yeah. of the immigration issues, failing to protect our borders. This guy, he was due to leave his job in March. He's now been panickingly, panickingly, whatever the word is, sacked yeah. by Cleverly Just today. Just today, right? Just, Just today. today. Right. Terminated because he spoke to the Daily Mail yeah. about this data, about right. well, these home You also, to put data. a bit of balance on this as well, the optics are we not good. We don't do balance here. We don't do balance. Don't waste your time. Sorry, there is no balance on this one. But the optics are not good and in a vacuum that's what happens you turn around and say he reveals the truth and all of a sudden he's sacked mm. that looks appealing it the does. truth will out when there's a bit more and i think to to, to provide that balance well the truth won't out unless people are yeah. allowed to publish their reports exactly. he was the government inspector mm. what do they want they want to mark their own no, homework you're absolutely right well they'd like to redact the that. bits they don't like it'd be a yeah. very small report i mean i don't think it's well, any secret uh, the, the fact that there is no report that the home, home office, office is completely it, which is going to show them in a good light because everything they do is basically kaput. Sure. What have they said for the reason for the sacking? They, well, he was going to be leaving anyway. Yeah. They've sacked him a month early. Right. They haven't said why they've, they've sacked him. They've said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically... I think they've said that, 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 that he was revealing sensitive yeah. information yeah. and that he was speaking to the media. Well, how else is he meant to get his findings yeah. out there? And actually, most of us would quite like the airports to be checking passports. Oh, absolutely. No wonder the UK yeah. is seen as an easy target well, for drug trafficking, right. organised crime, People trafficking yeah. and all the rest. And of also, it. if this was something other than the Home Office, this guy might be called a whistleblower. Well, I was going to say because maybe exactly he was told by somebody in the Home Office, "Well, we're not publishing that because it makes us look bad." Yeah. So he decided to get it out anyway. But that's and why the optics are not looking good. If you, the optics if you work, are not good. Normally, if, these inspectors get two terms. They yeah. get two, three. The optics year terms. don't look good for who? Do you think? Well, I, for, for basically the people trying to, well, those who sacked him right. on that sort of principle. The James completely. Cleverly. It, James it, Cleverly today panicked and sacked him immediately. He was due to finish in March. Yeah, so you look at that sort of basis. Doesn't look right. good. It's exactly as Mike says. Uh, he turned around, he he's, looks as a whistleblower. He's pointing out the yeah. truth, is, is uh, the optics. And as a result of but, it, he got the sack. The funny yeah. thing is... If we don't hear anything else from Cleverly as to why he's done that, uh, then the, the, the force of public opinion is clearly going to be mm. against them. All right, then publish all his reports. Reports in full. He's actually not even ex as it's not even as exciting as being a whistleblower. He's the inspector yeah. publishing the reports it's his job. that he was commissioned to publish. It's mm. the findings which are damning. Yeah, Full absolutely, stop. absolutely. Well, let's bring in a former chief immigration officer at Border Force in Calais, Kevin Saunders. Kevin, um, we've been talking about what happened to David Neal. Um, what do you make of it? Does it look to you like um, he's been fired unceremonially because they didn't like the fact that he told other people what was in the report? Good evening, Mike, and good evening to your panel. Mm. Um, can I, first of all, reassure your good self and your panel that everybody arriving in the UK is checked? These people arriving on private jets 
are checked. There is a procedure in place whereby every single one of the passengers, we know who they are, uh, I, and, and that's, that, that's fact. Um, they're all checked. They, don't, might, they might not be physically checked by an immigration officer looking at their passport when they land, but their details are all checked, and that's how we identify high-risk and low-risk Passengers. Yeah, but hang on. If you, so if please, you say, but hang on, Kevin. If you say that people are known, that means presumably they're on a manifest on the plane's record, right? But how do you know the person who's on the manifest is the person that's getting off the plane if you don't check the passport? Because the person getting on, because at the point of departure, the person getting onto the plane has to present their passport. Um, not necessarily. So they have to be checked on going out. Well, not so necessarily. That, if they're on a private plane. Pardon? Not necessarily. Yes, they're on a private even with plane. private planes. They're on a private even plane. With private planes. Right. So, but if they're trying to avoid being detected for whatever reason, they're not going to leave from Charles de Gaulle, are they? They're going to leave from a private airfield somewhere where there isn't going to be anybody checking them. Even at private airfields, um, border, border force officers of that country um, will check the people getting onto the planes. Well, I, I flew, I've, flown, I've flown on private jets only internally in countries in America and here, and nobody's ever asked me for any ID, ever. Flying internally is different. If you're flying externally into the United Kingdom, you will, you will be checked. Well, why is Dave Neal saying that that's not, not the case? Why would he say that's not the case? He's saying that's not the case. Yeah. And well, at City Airport, David Neal is saying that that is not the case, that various private no, jets what, landed that, that, and they weren't checked. That isn't quite, quite correct. Mr. Uh, Mr Neal has actually said that um, a high number of people weren't physically checked. High-risk people weren't checked. Mm. In fact, the information that Mr Neal's team collected at, uh, at London City was incorrect. Now, what happened, I can tell you what happened. Uh, his officers gathered the information. He presented the facts to the Home Office. The Home Office checked the facts and found that there was a huge mistake. They, they had given, the people at, at London City had given his people incorrect information. Now, that's going to have a knock-on effect for the officers involved and management involved at London City, yeah. who I suspect were going to be in a lot of trouble. Well, but I would, I would have... Was, hang on, Kevin. I'm going to let Evan Wolfe have a word in, in a minute. But I would have more faith in what your version of the story is if it wasn't true that most, many of the people who come in illegally to this country, uh, nobody knows who they are. They don't have passports. Nobody checks who they are. They come into the country regardless of whether they've got any papers and any kind of, you know, checking is a, is a complete joke. Emma, what do you want to say? I, I wanted to ask Kevin, um, firstly, what do you make of the fact that the Home Office recategorised those high-risk flights? They've just recalled them low-risk. So that's a way of avoiding. And how do you categorise yeah, uh, those people? If, if you're suggesting that the Home Office have deliberately... Um, moved the goalposts. ..done this, moved the goalposts, well, I, I can't comment. I can only comment on what I know. And what I know is... Um, from from my sources, is that the information given was basically wrong. There are going to be 
some real red faces at London City. There really are. Um, don't look and see who's been sacked by the Home Secretary. Look and see who are the officers that are at London City who next week aren't. Well, because there will well, let's, be, well, we, there well, will we, be might, we may well find out about that. But equally, as I said, the Home Office has no real place to go when they're trying to point to bits of it that work properly. I don't think there's any part of the Home Office that works properly at the moment. And so for them to say that this guy they fired got it wrong somehow and they've managed to get it right, it'll be the first thing they got right in about five years, won't it? Well, that, that's a bit unfair. I don't think it is right. unfair. But, 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 but the, the point is, the point is, what the point I'm trying to make is the Home Office identified the problem. They then told uh, Mr Neil that they had identified the problem and, and what, what the, the true facts were. Now, as I understand it, Mr Neil ignored the fact that the Home Office had given him new data and stuck to the old data. Yeah. Well, maybe uh, maybe then, he doesn't think then, the new data's but, worth a faggot. OK, but, but Kevin, are you saying that you can't take off from a small country? I mean, I've flown on a private jet from Kenya... No one checked anything, right? And you can fly in. So you're saying it's fine, you can, we can, in this country, we can be secure that they've been checked from their point of destination, uh, from their point of departure, that's absolutely fine, that we don't need to check people on the point of arrival into our country, know. into the UK. If a private jet is arriving in the UK from Kenya, we will know who is on that plane. If we don't know who's on that plane, that plane will be intercepted by the RAF and it will be landing at um, a, a, a secure airfield. So, so just to be clear, Kevin, the, the claim on the front page of the mail today that high-risk aircraft are landing in Britain without security checks, you're saying that's not right? That's in, I, would, I would say, from my knowledge, that is incorrect. David yes. Neal says 21% only of flights are checked. He's not, you know, that's not 50%. He's saying 21% only. So nearly 80% yeah. of flights, private jets, are not being checked. No. Hang on, let's, let's just get one question in from Megan. Megan, you've got a question as well. Kevin, nice to meet you. I just want to clarify, you say they've been checked. This is not me sounding like a conspiracy theorist. And you say you know what's who's on the plane, but... There's just no... that A lot of governments around the world can be quite hostile right. towards the West. Right. The Afghanistan, like, what if some of their people flew to Pakistan, which is not a crime, and then from Pakistan they flew to the UK, which, again, is not a crime. That's how these networks kind of operate. And how it works with private jets. And you can so just hand all the passports sure. to the pilot. They yeah. take them off and then they come back. They're not right. checking yeah. people. Well, that's so the is thing. Is it too much to ask that high-risk... Aeroplanes, we maybe have a peek inside. Well, I would have thought that's absolutely the case. And Kevin, listen, I don't want to be sitting here giving you a hard yeah, time. Yeah, it yeah, feels, no. I know it feels like you're probably getting battered and bruised here, but I think, you know, you're very nice. To, it's a very good thing for you to stick it up to the Home Office, but it does seem a bit odd to me, and you don't speak for the Home Office officially, but it seems a bit odd to me to hire a guy to be the inspectorate of the Home Office and its various dealings in day-to-day -day operations and then to disregard a report that he makes up saying... Uh, it's not true. And, and then providing with... I mean, why bother hiring him in the first and place? And 13 other reports. You right? know, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I can't comment on the other reports that the Home Office have or have not said. <laughs> I can comment on this. 
this particular issue because I've had dealings with it. I know how the system works. Now, if you think I am going to sit on a very popular TV channel like yours and tell you exactly how the Home Office and the security services are doing their checks, forget it, because I'm not. But believe me, <laughs> the checks are being done, and I know they're being done. And I've seen, I've seen the other end of the checks, because before I went to Calais, um, I was involved at Lid Airport, or right. Ashford International, as it's yeah. now called, and that brings in private jets. Right. So I know how it's actually done. No, I accept that, and I thank you very much, Kevin, for, for taking the time uh, to talk to us. Appreciate it. Kevin Saunders there uh, telling us why he thinks that actually uh, they are doing the right thing at City Airport. But the funniest thing you've said, actually, is that Lyd Airport is now known as Ashford yeah. International. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone's been to Lyd, yeah. absolutely right. nothing international about it. Kevin, very no, nice little part of the world. I think Kevin, in his defence, is just defending like what he and his... Probably work really what has gone hard. Yeah, like, yeah, they and honestly, he really held his own against. No, he did. Everyone just yeah, well, ran But the story's not going to go away anywhere. No, sure, but, but uh, it was an absolute. Uh, this sure why we Neil, said it was an absolute denial. He said it's, it was not. There are not high risk aircraft landing in Britain. Yeah, and that's the whole story. This is the reason why the guy got sacked. He's saying it's not true. It's not a few percent. We'll have more of it in a minute because I've got to move on now. Thank you indeed for all of that. Going to talk on the subject of private jets because I'm now joined by the founder of Ground Control, which is a Twitter account that tracks celebrities' private jets. Uh, this is a young man by the name of Jack Sweeney. Jack, uh, welcome to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Uh, you track, you don't track high-risk jets coming into Britain, probably by any by any means, but it'd be good if you did because then we'd know who they were and where they were coming yeah. from. But what you do do is you track celebrity private jets. How easy is that to do? Uh, it's fairly simple. You know, you look up uh, the ownership of who owns the jets, and usually you can find out uh, through the name of the company that owns it or the address that it's registered to, uh, and then you can track that jet and see where it goes. Right. So can you only track jets that are owned by celebrities or ones that they've chartered? Um, for the most part, I mean, you can try to align, like, charter jets to, like, a high net worth individual, like, movements, like... With Taylor Swift, yeah. uh, she's been using charter jets lately, but people still know what jet she's using because it's like lines up with where she is in the shows and the concerts she has. Right. But she's chartering them rather than owning the jet, is she? Uh, well, she did have two jets. Now she's down to one. Um, so she does own one jet, but she's chartering right now, probably right. because the one she's using to charter is uh, a better jet and it can go a longer distance. Right. And is it right that her lawyers have asked you or have asked a court to stop you from doing it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They uh, sent me a letter back in December. Yeah. And so what's happening with that? Is there, is there a case to be heard or is, uh, have you responded? Uh, no, not really. You know, I mean, anybody can send a cease and desist letter and it's, it's pretty <laughs> much just like that. Like the tone of the letter kind of proves that it's just trying to like scare me off and get me to stop. Right. And do you, what do you get out of it other than just in giving information out to other people? You make money out of it or not? Not really, no. I mean, it's nothing I could live off of. It would be better for me to go work anywhere, really, and make a constant income versus something no. like this. And how many celeb jets would you say you follow on a regular basis? Um, well, so it's automated. The program, a software I wrote, and automatically posted to social media. But um, back in the day, I did have like 30 
accounts, but now it's like 10, but I'm planning on doing a website. I have a spreadsheet collected where we have like 400 to 500 jets and that would be much right. better than just social media accounts. Right. Have you ever tracked Harry and Meghan's jet? Uh, I've looked into that, but I don't know if they actually own one or if they're chartering. No, they don't. I think we should give you that assignment. Um, they generally yeah. fly on other people's jets. They flew, They most recently flew on the, the head of Paramount's jet to Jamaica. <laughs> okay. um, yeah. And, and uh, they normally try and hitch a ride up to, um, I think they went up to Canada for the Invictus Games, probably on the same one. So I think it's the Paramount jet. So we might come back to you and see if we can... Uh, we can get you to track what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. That'd be I'm, great. I'm sure I have the Paramount jet listed somewhere. Okay, well, we'll check that yeah. one out. Jack, thank you very much indeed. Jack Sweeney there. Have uh, a good night. Giving us the lowdown. See, the great thing about America, a lot of people give us um, uh, give their view of America as being a terrible place, but the great thing, well, I lived there for 10 years. Yeah. It's so much more free yeah. than this country. I imagine if you try to, to do, do that, that in this country, tracking jets, which might not be a bad idea for that home office story, uh, you could actually know where they were coming from. I love this them. man. I love yeah. this young man. This is the future. This is what people will be doing. I, isn't it a life goal to get a cease and desist letter from yeah. Taylor Swift's <laughs> lawyers? Yeah. Wouldn't that be brilliant? I know. It's like some of those people that get um, threatening letters from very, very powerful companies and say, you can't use this trade name. Yeah. It's the same name as ours and people will get confused. And you're yeah. going, I'm running a little corner shop cafe uh, really? in, yeah. the, in the yeah. bottom of Newport. A lot of celebrities have been really screwed over by this because it kind of happens their lawyers just do it on retainer, so yeah, they yeah. do it automatically. Mm. And then they found out that they've destroyed like a single mum's business right. <laughs> on Twitter and they're devastated. And the other that. side of that is that you have to protect certain things. There's something called doxing, which is revealing mm. private information. Yes. What he's doing is actually revealing publicly available yeah. information right. and just assimilating. So right. anybody could do it if they wanted to track it. Yes. And it's on that. Well, in the same basis. way, I presume that you can track aircraft. There's, yeah, plenty, you can. Of, there's plenty of apps that yeah. you can use to track aircraft yeah. commercially that are flying around Britain. It, it, and, uh, and it's and hardly aircraft. kind of, um, you know, threatening Taylor Swift's security when it was well known that she yeah. was going to see her boyfriend at the Super Bowl and yeah. going yeah. back to her widely publicised tour in, Amer yeah. in Australia right. and back again. And exactly. Border Force, should, Border Force should employ him, I think. They, yeah. they, could, they, could make they sure do they a lot have better yeah. with him than whoever they've got at City Airport. That's exactly. Sure. There you go. There's a job for him. Can yeah. I just clarify? Am I the only one on this panel that's not been on a private jet? I think that must be right, yeah. I you can borrow You have to fix that. I hope one of you will lend me yours. You'll, you'll obviously have to fix that. <laughs> I, I haven't been on many. I, the one I was on in America was a, a corporate one that was owned by um, Hanson, the, yes. the, the, uh, and I went the on building one. company. Uh, but the other one was oh, Rod Stewart. Which oh, was wow. Really? Oh, that would be rather yeah. fun. Rod Stewart's one. I really fun. thought you meant, like, the three-person not the, band. Not the, not the I band. I was really excited No, no, no. Hanson, they're, very, they're actually a concrete company, oh. which is a bizarre thing to happen. <laughs> this was even before I knew concrete was a thing. Um, they flew me around <laughs> to all their different quarries, and it was just the quickest way to do it. Right. In America, again, it's not as big of a deal as it mm. is here yes. because, you know... Because people are flying all over the country. People fly all over the country. The yeah. distances are so vast yeah. that if you want to go from, you know, Chicago to New York to Boston in a day, you can't do it any other way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. It's starting to sound like a very expensive show, this, but anyway. <laughs> uh, now, moving on. The vandals who took over Rishi Sunak's mansion in Yorkshire, plastering it in black cloth and signs demanding action on climate change, are set to be charged with criminal damage. Three of them are, anyway. The group are part of the Greenpeace organisation which campaigns for environmental reform so-called so in a peaceful way. I'm not sure what's peaceful, though, about vandalising someone's home, but that's just me. 
I mean, funnily enough, we spoke to Dale Vince yesterday, um, who used to bankroll Just Stop Oil. Yes. And he's now given up because mm. they came out yesterday and said, we're going to start demonstrating outside people's houses and we're yeah. going to start occupying people's homes because our message isn't getting across. <clears throat> I think this is a really bad development and I think it, it's good that these guys are going to jail. And yeah. I hope they might learn their lesson and not come out and do but it again. You're absolutely right. And the other lesson they should learn is that all of their tactics are just not working. I don't know anybody no. who's come out and said, we really support your cause as a result mm. of what you're doing. Right. They're alienating people. And the more that they can realise that, for well, might be a legitimate cause for some of it, but they're alienating people who might otherwise support the cause. Yes, exactly right. And, you know, the only people that really listen to them and agree with them are the people who genuinely think that we're in some kind of emergency. They don't know what emergency means. They think that well, people the next, who are lost you know, four, five years. But everybody, yeah. everybody, all of us care about the environment. We oh. care about the future of the planet. We yes. really do. They are, as as um, as Andrew says, they're alienating people. Mm. But also, they're really stepping this up. I think the police. This has gone on for too long. Yeah. This nonsense. It has. The police need to step up. The you know they need to crack down on this, especially leading up to the next election. You can't let people disrupt normal people's no. lives. No. Stopping them from travelling. Stopping them from going no. to work. Doing their right. jobs. And you it's can't, nonsense. I mean, now, I mean, last summer, it was almost expected, wasn't it, that whatever the sporting event was... There would be just a would come out with their orange powder. They yeah. did it at Wimbledon, yes. they did it at the cricket, the they did snooker. it at the snooker. quite good on the green. And I don't want yes. to have to think that every time um, Keir Starmer gets up to speak or Rishi Sunak gets up to speak or whoever, that there's going to be one of these idiots throwing stuff... Glitter, yeah. Because it's so pathetic. Yeah. 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 And the it's house, dangerous. And, the... I mean, if they did it in America, somebody would shoot them. Yeah. Mm. You yeah. know? And I'm the not house, saying that's what we should do, but... The no. house thing, though, is disgusting, and it's becoming increasingly a problem with, like, more militant factions yeah. on the left. It is intimidation. People, yeah. People's right. kids are supposed right. to be off yeah. limits. It, it, There's kind of this ruling policy. We've had two you politicians murdered yeah. in yeah. You don't years. go after people's kids, and I'm sorry, making a child not feel safe going to bed because they can mm. hear shouting outside, that is going after right. people's kids. And people it's shouting that, you know, your father's got blood on his hands. Yeah, did it to Tobias Elwood. It was just ex Labour candidate. It's, it's absolutely disgusting. shocking. But, I mean, and it does, I'm sorry to say, largely come from the left. They think it's OK yeah, to get in people's is. faces and shout at you yeah. because you disagree with them. They've I mean, I've got a head. great you know, amount of abuse coming <laughs> my way just because of what I said about Prince William's statement. You know, but it's wow. all really horrible. You know, luckily I don't give a... Funny, monkeys. you know, the be kind, the wokey left yeah, yeah. mob are, are really hateful no, and really no, abusive really are, in a yeah. way that think, the white are not. But, but no. it's, it's interesting, Mike, you, you say you've got a lot of abuse. Actually, mm. what you said about Prince William's statement was was a fair comment because you were saying what he said was right, yeah, yeah. but it's not his position to say it because royalty and you used... And Her Majesty's I just don't think it was the right thing to do, as I've said. But, yeah. you know, yeah. we can disagree about that. Yeah. The point is, yeah, is that people from the left who have suddenly now become monarchists, bizarrely, when last week they were chanting on, you know... The yes. side of republicanism because they hate the monarchy because they're all privileged uh, over, you know, fluffed up idiots who were born into it and went to eat. But yeah. now suddenly they all go, oh, we love Prince William. Isn't he yeah. great? You know, because he likes... I would uh, like every one of these just up oil zealots, you know, these Trustafarians, just to publish the list of their holidays and planes that they've taken in the past well, year. Well, I mean, how we many of them? For a fact, they will go quiet over yeah. the summer because they're all on Mummy and Daddy's private... Well, how many of them have we discovered if you go back through their like Instagram accounts? Yeah. They've been in Thailand, they've been they have. in and Australia. And how did they get there, Mike? They flew, funnily enough. I think the biggest sign is willing to go to prison for the cause. I grew up on the poverty line, yeah. and there's one thing that 
privilege reeks when, and I know we hate that word, it's overused, but when you really do not care about going to prison, it's not yeah. a normal reaction to something. Right. It's because if I went to prison when I was 18, if I came out, my life's over. Yeah, right. Mm. My yeah. life's over, the repercussions are gonna be felt for ages. Yeah. I didn't, I wouldn't have been able to live at home. Right. I wouldn't have had any money supporting yeah. me. You'd have a criminal I, record. I've yeah. supported myself I, through university since I was 16. There's no way mm. I could have risked getting arrested. No. I would have ruined everything. Of course. And none of these people have jobs either, because if they did, they wouldn't be able to exactly. go and do what they do. And because the one, they wouldn't lost. get the time they're, off. They're looking yeah. for a cause, they're looking for a leader. Mm. They could find out all the stuff, they, the energy that they put into that, they could put that into some good on that sort of basis and yeah. find out a good role model. That would yes. make sense. Or go and work somewhere where, you know, you can do some good yeah, in a country. Yeah. Where, you know, or go and visit perhaps some of these horrible mines that are in the middle of Africa yes. where children are being sent down to find what needs to be put into electric cars. And then maybe mm. you'll work out that actually work on it's not... It's not actually quite as nice yep. uh, as you thought, you know, because at the end of the day, it's absolutely ridiculous. One story that we haven't got yet in the front pages of the papers, but is a bit of a different tack, is this story about men's and women's brains. Being yes, different. glorious. This is always a good one. Now, Mars, now we can do this perfectly even-handedly because there are two women and two men on this panel. Yes. So, I mean, like all of these studies, they don't normally really tell you anything you didn't already know. Yeah. You know, when you scientifically examine the fact that, you know, women are better at some things than men are and men are better at some things than women are, <clears throat> it's not that surprising, is it? No, it's not surprising, but I would have guessed it... I would have guessed it anyway, just based on the female monthly cycle. She, it can be divided into four weeks where her behaviour, her... Even how dizzy you are, yeah. it's... I Like, there's a certain week of the month where I can't keep anything in my hands without dropping it. Yeah. And it's not just in my head. Right. It's real. Hormones play a huge part, and I guess it's triggered by the brain. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. Yeah. It was Stanford University did the study, and yeah. this is what they did. They did a, a wide... It's the first time they ever did... It's supported, a big study. Supported by AI. You'll love that sort of stuff. <laughs> and AI, artificial intelligence, said the results of this, they could tell... Was it male or female artificial intelligence? That, well, <laughs> a bit of both. Because that depends, doesn't it? It does Obviously, depends. Because you may have made different conclusions. Uh, absolutely. But they got it with 90% accuracy just on brain scans. Yeah. They could say whether somebody was male or female. And that's what's interesting about this study. That's it's really it's interesting. kind of yeah. debunking the myth that it's mostly nurture and that it's yeah. society. They're saying, no, it's biological. Mm. There are biological differences in the brain, in the prefrontal cortex, in the different regions of the brain. Yeah. And by scanning them, as you yeah. say, you can actually tell. And I think this is so true. Having spent tedious amounts of months over the mm. past three years in baby groups and nursery groups, looking at baby girls and baby boys and watching how they yeah. are. The boys and my son are in the corner, smashing things yeah. up, building tractors, kicking them down and, play and playing in one way. Yeah. The girls generally, and this is always a generalization, mm. the girls are generally in the corners with their dollies, built, you yeah. know, uh, playing constructively, playing collaboratively, being empathetic. I do think there are clear differences yeah. between oh, men and women. And what, what, what's interesting in the study are. as well, they said that it's twice that women are twice as likely as men to experience clinical depression, for example, and while men are more at risk of drug and alcohol dependence and dyslexia. And they're working on that sort of basis. And they say it's to do with the brain, it's not, not to do with uh, nature. They're also ten times more likely to go to baby groups because, you know, having had four children, I didn't go to any baby groups. You didn't have to, Mike. But that's to, to do with structural Well, no, but, I mean, some men try to do it and try to get in with it. but they just They're can't. weird. But, they I mean, I wouldn't trust a bloke that goes to a baby No, group I don't. Because they're just they're not weird. normal. I actually you know? yeah. like yeah. this study, and it's a bit what you were saying about the baby groups. Yes. You sometimes wonder when you're alone with your thoughts, you think, am I the way I am because society's... Made yeah. me this way. Should I be unpacking my femininity? Yeah. No, 
I'm glad to know. I don't is that what you to. really think about? Well, sometimes I, I do. Really? Sometimes, because you see it on the news that you only like these things because society's told you to. And sometimes I just want to be, I don't know, unapologetically yes. female. I think so. And I think unapologetically is quite right. It's bad news, of course, this for the whole gender brigade, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. They can't get the their problem. heads around it. No, because no. They'll go, well, that can't be possibly be true because if you're telling me that you're biologically a woman and I can't be one, yeah. then you're a bigot, obviously. Well, it'd be interesting, as you say, to do the... There's a survey of the brain to turn out to, to what well, extent that might happen, yes, where people believe they're actually, in the wrong body. But this could benefit some trans people. But things yeah, have changed a lot. It might be. It might be a benefit. Things have changed a lot in recent years, and people are wondering whether things like, say, the female pill being washed yes. into rivers, all yeah. the kind of hormonal disruptions that yeah. we've had... Yes. ..whether that is actually affecting men as well and that we have... Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to get myself in trouble. It's by a never-ending. It's a never-ending story. It's good. It the other one that's good today is the uh, number of different words for drunk. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the best thing I heard about this today was that it's a bit like the Eskimos yeah. who have so many different words for snow. Yes. Because that's what they talk about a lot. That's so Clearly, we funny. have an awful lot of you words can use for drunk. Any word, for, right? You know, banjacks. Yeah. Uh, my favourite was gazeboed. Yes. And also, it's posh people. If you say a posh person saying. Mm. Oh, it's completely and utterly gazebo. They yeah. can say anything and it all yeah. I was, you know, one yeah. of the eight. I was totally Mike Graham. Right. I was totally off the... Yeah. Like, anything that they say. Although I was listening to a guest on Rosanna and he said, actually, there's also nuance in it because sloshed yes. doesn't mean as bad as hammered. Although that's... No, right. no, no. You know, yeah, if you're tipsy. sloshed, that's kind of tipsy. Yeah. Yes. But you're not really too drunk. But if you're hammered, you're absolutely off the scale. Absolutely yeah. hammered, It's Michael yeah. McIntyre who said, I got yeah. completely dot, dot, dot. He yeah. came up you with a gazebo one. And then you fell in, and that was gazeboed, yeah. Exactly. I, think I was got, completely ever-wolfed. I, think, I, think <laughs> <got, laughs> I don't know. I haven't drunk for about five years. I think years. we've got a Michael McIntyre clip, which will be the first and ever time we ever have it on this show, I think. There you go. Yeah, I hope so. Most people have a variety of words for, pop, for drunk. You can have... Uh, you can be wellied or trousered or told. I was rough. You can actually use any word in the English language and substitute it to mean drunk as a posh person. It yeah. works. Did you have a drink last night? You're joking. I was utterly gazeboed. It fits. <laughs> the first time I came across strange words for being drunk was actually in America when I moved there because a lot of people there had different words. They have silly words for drunk. Yeah. And they don't get drunk properly as well. well they, no, they do. They do. I mean, the, the, but in a sort of over the yeah, kind of it's a it's drinking a an entire yeah, they, keg of they, beer. They, kind they of do way. it. They don't just do it spontaneously like no. we do, where we just kind of go to the pub and suddenly yeah. we're drunk. Yeah. yeah, they have you know spring break. Yeah, 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 to yeah. Florida right. yeah. And, drinks, and frat parties you know, where they drink dangerous amounts sides, and it's all yeah. a bit tasteless. But, but the proper professional kind of bar drinkers in New York do know how to drink, and that's quite good. But, yeah. but they had strange words like sway-baked was one. Right. Puzzled <laughs> yes. was quite good. I <laughs> that's quite like not puzzled. good. Puzzled? Puzzled, yeah, because you're kind of puzzled. A little bit you, puzzled, yes. You can be... I know, but it's very unclear, because I, you could say I was very puzzled last night, and you wouldn't realise that someone means blind no. drunk. No, and what's the thing? I mean, I guess it's all... It's all I was thing. completely puzzled. Blotto. I think we have to agree. Blotto, Blotto is probably the best one ever. Blotto's good, yeah. Blotto. Or the Cockney rhyming slang, I mean, Brahms and Lists. It's and... as good as anything. Yeah. I mean, Brahms and Lists, absolutely. Brahms and Lists, there you go. Now, how about this before? You're not drunk when you see this. It's the biggest snake in the world, I think. It's 26 foot long. No. Um, no. Anaconda. Ugh. And there's a no, guy getting looking. very <laughs> close to it. These things, I presume, are um, amphibious. Looks like a man. Oh, this one on the floor. Down the bottom of a river. I don't think I'd be going anywhere near it. World's largest snake. 
Good heavens. It's not actually the world's largest snake. It's only the world's largest snake, as far as that's we know. Yeah. Is, it is, gone? That, is that border force checking no. them in? Yeah, that's in checking them in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fancy coming to City Airport. Don't worry, we can smuggle you in along with the two lions uh, and the three members Which of the Which have all been carefully checked at their point of departure. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. You're watching the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Coming up next, the minister tries to defend the government's ridiculous woke army drive and all the top lines from tomorrow's papers as well. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Now it's time for this. The World of Woke. Earlier this month, Grant Shapps went on the attack. Not unusual, you might say, for the Secretary of State for Defence. It was time, he said, to be de-wokifying our armed forces, which have become ludicrously underqualified to fight a war because they've concentrated more on diversity and inclusion than they have on making sure that the people charged with defending the realm can actually do so. For once, it seemed Mr Shapps might have made some sense. After all, if any organisation run by the government needs to be single-minded, charged with the will to succeed and capable of destroying the armies of foreign foes, surely it is the Army, the Navy and the Royal Air Force. Shapps was so concerned about the woke and extremist cultures that have infiltrated the armed forces that he ordered an immediate review into what is going on, particularly in the areas of recruitment. It has already been revealed that the Army is considering relaxing some security checks for overseas recruits in order to boost ethnic minority representation. Some senior former army officers wrote a collective letter warning that this would be a disaster for our own national security. And you might think that would be the end of it. But no, I'm afraid there is worse to come because it would appear the enemy is already within. And his name is Dr Andrew Morrison. He's the government minister for defence, people and families. And he doesn't agree with his boss. Asked in the House of Commons about the plans to recruit the right sort of people, here was his reply. If he's talking about increasing the amount of women in our armed forces, if he's talking about the LG, the, Lord Etherton's review into LGBT uh, in, uh, historically in our armed forces, if he's talking about our ambition to make our armed forces more reflective of the society from which they're drawn and which they serve, then, Mr Speaker, I'm as guilty as charged. Guilty as charged indeed. For a government minister to go against the Secretary of State, it normally requires an accompanying resignation letter, and that may well follow. But more seriously, the attitude described and exhibited by Dr Morrison betrays what is wrong at the heart of Westminster and in this government. Morrison is clearly under the impression that in order to reflect Britain, the armed forces must be woke. But he's wrong, because Britain is not woke. Parts of it are, and indeed some people even think it is not a majority white country anymore. Also not true. The truth begs to differ. Get out of London once in a while, Doc. I'm sure you'll find it an education. The world of woke. Much as I'd like to discuss that, I don't think we've got time. We have got time, though, to see... Tattoos and uh, recruitment. Yeah, <laughs> tattoos and recruitment. Um, front page of the Eye newspaper is the first one we've seen on William uh, and his uh, statement about Gaza. Royal Diplomat says... Uh, the UK has deployed Prince William to call for the urgent Gaza ceasefire as part of a sort of um, Western offensive, which is very interesting. They did speak. The Foreign mm. Office did speak to the palace, didn't yeah. they? And very carefully worked out William's statement. So it's clear. Yeah. It's sort of odd. Are they suggesting that he was sort of being deployed? Well, they well are, I mean, that's the, that's, they deploy that's the story. him to call for a ceasefire. Yeah. 
I think I think that's wrong if it's it, true. Well, it, it's it's a dangerous precedent yeah. for the reasons it, we've said, and so absolutely we fully endorse the sentiment. Uh, it is abhorrent, but royals don't normally comment on these things. Right. There's a reason for this about not interfering with politics, and it, we should say actually it's, it is the what ten years ago about Crimea because that was uh, uh, on this day, February the twentieth. Vladimir Konstantinov, the Speaker of Crimea's regional parliament and a Russian politician, said he didn't rule out the peninsula's return to Russia. Right. So it's all that sort of anniversary around now, which is why the focus is here at the moment. And, of course, the two-year anniversary of um, the invasion, Russia's invasion yeah, of Ukraine. Ukraine. Yeah, well, I mean, he could have said something about that if he wanted to, but yeah. instead he said this about Gaza. They do comment on other ways. And it, I, we say let's not involve them in politics, but this is... We often deploy them. It's just not so in your face. I yeah. do think you're right. It does create a precedent because... There is... I cover this when I do my research on conflict-related sexual violence. Mm. It's everywhere, and we only mention it a quarter yes. of the times. Right. And, we, and it pops up. We do have the... morality levels. Yeah, of and certainly, when it comes to Arab Muslims, we seem to care about their lives more as a society in the West than we do about African mm. Muslims' yeah. lives who are also suffering a genocide. Well, nobody ever talks about the genocide in Africa, and I don't understand why that is. It really... There's a few belief. of them. There's a Muslim one in China happening yeah. right now, yeah. and they're, they're not boycotting China, because that would actually be hard. Yes. To boycott Israel is easy, because you just... Yeah. There's tech mm. apps and soda streams. And it's a general problem, isn't it? Because the media seems to just shine a spotlight on one issue, yeah. Yeah. and then you forget the others. But and it's not I... the media necessarily doing it. It's the fact that politicians also do it. Right. And politicians... I mean, you know, it's, it's not an accident that Keir Starmer's Labour Party is embroiled in a row, not about Myanmar, yeah. uh, not about, you know, the Uyghur yeah, Muslims Myanmar. in China, but about Israel. Yeah. There's a reason for that. Yeah. And we all know what it is. Um, let's talk about uh, the front page of the Metro. Um, this is uh, something I referred to a little bit earlier. Ministers were told in 2016 how the investigation that could have helped thousands was ditched. So I think we're going to find more of this yes. in the wake of the Kevin Badenoch outrage this week, um, where yeah. she was sort of attempting to take the moral high ground, and there really isn't any in this story at all. Well, it's extraordinary. Um, it well, seems like the government knew a lot more than we were told. And, and we always have these absolute denials, as we had on this very programme tonight, about a particular story. Uh, so you look at that sort of basis. They're saying that uh, uh, Javid, uh, he was told in 2016 that an investigation was underway in, into, uh, uh, into how accounts yeah. had, had been uh, changed remotely. I mean, this was the big scandal, yeah, wasn't it? Exactly how right. How that could happen. We've, there only, was we've only got about that. 30 seconds left. Milkshakes could be hit with a 24p and litre fat tax. The Lib Dems apparently want to do this, so it obviously it won't happen. Um, they it won't, won't get it into won't power. Happen, but I do remember... And it shouldn't happen either, <laughs> by the it, way. It shouldn't. It's a treat. I do remember as a child drinking those... Mm. I mean, I'm sure they're terribly oversweetened, um, those chocolate milks. What a treat, like, just yeah. once in a while. As long as it is a treat and it's yes, not every yeah. day, but no but point of course, taxing don't, it. don't feed them Because it doesn't stop people drinking them, it just makes the government more wealthy. Yeah, and uh, it... yeah it just... It, does, it doesn't really... And it's the knock-on effect for the farmers, is what they say as well, because they say you'll decrease the demand yeah. for milk. But, Mike, that's the point. It does <laughs> not stop. It's like smoking. Yeah. Honestly, as a former smoker, right. they could have charged 20, 25, 30 oh, pounds yeah, I was going to still going to buy them. You still pay. Yeah, it's like the ULEZ. You want to make the air clean, don't make people pay to drive in it. It's as simple as that, but there we are. Yeah. Uh, that's it. Thank you very much indeed. That is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We will be back, of course, tomorrow night from 8 o'clock. Thank you to everybody on the panel. Uh, it's been a rocky old night, but we got there. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.